Your doctor's office introduces a fancy new app that allows you to read your doctor's notes. You pull up your most recent H&P, or history and physical, and start reading. It's sparsely written, but you think you understand most of it. There are a number of terms you don't recognize, and one catches your eye in particular. Dyslipidemia. Persistently elevated LDL. Suspect medication noncompliance. What does that even mean? What's medication noncompliance? In this episode, we'll explore what this term, and others, mean. We'll discuss some of the consequences of not taking your medications. We'll talk about some of the common reasons that patients choose not to take their medications. Hi, and welcome to Sick Enough, the podcast about patients who are sick enough to be in the hospital and the doctors who are sick enough to work there. I'm Dave. And I'm Tyler. And we're hospitalists. We're internal medicine doctors who specialize in treating patients who need to be hospitalized. We work full-time in the hospital, acting as your doctor while you're there, working to get you better and back home. A quick disclaimer, we created this podcast to educate and entertain our listeners. The information we share is not medical advice, and you should always consult your own doctor. Also, please note that we are doctors for adults and are not trained or qualified to comment on pediatric care. So today we're talking about a concept called noncompliance, also sometimes called non-adherence. You've probably already guessed what this means, but I thought we'd still make sure we defined it anyway. Medication noncompliance is when you don't take or inconsistently take the medications that your doctor has prescribed to you. There's also dietary noncompliance, which is when you don't follow the diet your doctor has prescribed. So if you're a diabetic patient, but you eat a bunch of sugar anyway and wind up in the hospital because your blood sugar is too high, that's dietary noncompliance. People can also be noncompliant with services like dialysis. Extremely common. It's scary how common it is, but people will skip their dialysis session. And because they don't have functioning kidneys that are working to do what kidneys ordinarily do. Please refer to our kidney episode. Yeah. Fluid will build up in their body and they'll get fluid overloaded, meaning the fluid gets into their lungs and they can't breathe. There are a whole host of other problems that come along with that. Tyler, I know when we were first discussing this as an episode, you said you thought that this was really common. Yeah, it's like half of our admissions. Half of what I do for a living is fix people who just don't want to take their medications at home. Yeah, I was actually curious about that. So I tried to keep track of it for about a week. And for me, it was around, it was at least 30% when I kind of looked at all the numbers. You know, I'm not surprised at all, but if you take a step back, I mean, that's a staggering amount. It is. So that's like saying if everyone out there in the world actually took their medications as they were told to do, that we could trim 30% of hospital admissions. I mean, think of all we could cut back with hospitals and, and overcapacity and short staffing. I mean, my Absolutely. goodness gracious. Yeah. And hospital overusage is a huge consequence and somewhat of an intangible cost that probably doesn't even factor into most of the studies on the subject. And in preparing for this episode, I tried to do some research about the cost. And so I went to the literature to try and see what studies had been done. I'm curious. What'd you find? I found a review article published in 2018 that provided some statistics. The authors looked at data from 2015 and estimated that the average per person cost of medication noncompliance ranged from $949 to $44,190 per person, but it depended on the disease. And they looked at a range of diseases like diabetes, epilepsy, HIV, addiction, cancer, and several others. Cancer had pretty high costs followed by addiction. In fact, looking at the cancer, some of the patients in, the, in that particular group had per patient costs over $160,000, which is a staggering amount of money. <laughs> Who pays for that? <laughs> Probably 
we're actually going to get into that in a future episode about hospital and medical economics. But long story short, all of us pay. But did you say, did you just say that someone is non-compliant with life-saving cancer treatment? Yeah. It's hard to believe that somebody would be non-compliant with something like cancer treatment. But we're going to get into the reasons later in the episode um, about why people are non-compliant with medications. And some of these reasons are not always rational. And we'll talk about a little bit of those later. I, I was still kind of curious, though, how would you be non-compliant with cancer treatment? Because chemo is usually given in a supervised setting. I mean, they does this mean they just skip their appointments? Like, like if they, they skip their appointments and then and cancer their, progresses. their cancer progresses and then they now they need a more intense treatment or more expensive treatment because their cancer advanced from stage two to stage four because they skipped some appointments. Is that what you're saying? That would be my guess. I didn't drill down in that. I didn't. I'd have to have gone to the article that was referenced by that review article and I didn't drill down that far, but I probably will do that at some point because I was kind of curious, like, how do, how do you be non-compliant with cancer treatments? But what Tyler and I are talking about is a concept called lost to follow up. And for our listeners, the term lost to follow up is how we describe a patient who is diagnosed with something that needed ongoing treatment, but for whatever reason, they never got seen again. I feel like when I see lost to follow up in a patient's chart, I feel like that is a politically correct way of saying they just stop showing up. It kind of is. It's sort of a no blame way of saying that the patient didn't get the treatment that we had planned for them. And yeah. and it's it's like saying it's their fault without saying it's their fault. It, but, you know, sometimes it's that doctor's offices cancel appointments and the patients never reschedule them. Um, That's true. Or the Fair patients, enough. you know, it it's always hard to assign blame in kind of those situations. And, and the people who really suffer from it are the patients. And so it's you know, one of those things where you, you kind of only hurt yourself by doing it. Yeah, so. fair enough. I retract what I said. You're right. You made a good point. But we see plenty of people who are lost to follow up, unfortunately. And that's sort of its own form of non-compliance or non-adherence. We also see plenty of people with complications or problems because they were not only lost to follow up, but also because of medication non-compliance. Tyler, what are some of the more common admissions you see from this? An immediate one is DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis. If you're either a type 1 diabetic or a horribly controlled type 2 diabetic, all you got to do is stop taking your insulin for a couple of days and boom, you go into DKA and you'll be admitted straight to the ICU. Yeah. So that that's a big one. I see We, we see that all the time. I mean, that's bread and butter for hospital medicine. Mm-hmm. Heart failure. Yeah. That's both medication as well as dietary indiscretion because, I mean, managing a heart failure patient at home that's a delicate balance of how many times they're taking their Lasix and their spironolactone mm-hmm. once, twice, three times a day. And then they got to, here, here's the short list of foods they're allowed to eat and the amount of fluid they're allowed to drink. I mean, that's, that's hard for anyone to do, especially, especially someone mm-hmm. who's medically illiterate. Yeah. I mean, I, when I look at the heart failure diet and the heart failure medication plan, I don't know if I could keep up with it. Yeah. Let alone these patients who are supposed to do it with, you know, maybe their 72 year old wife helping them. I mean, goodness. I know. And it's funny because I really like the taste of salt. And yeah. I hate the advice that I have to give heart failure patients where I'm like, all right, so you can't have deli meats. You can't have canned goods. You can't have any takeout food. You can't have, you can't go out to restaurants. You can't, it would be, it would be difficult for, I would say most people to to follow. And especially people, you know, you think about people whose math skills aren't necessarily very strong, trying to count the number, like the number of grams of sodium that they can take each day or the yeah. number of milligrams of sodium they can eat that, that i think that gets to be tough but you said it that's definitely uh one of the types of dietary non-compliance i see a lot of non-compliance all the time in seizure patients 
People will stop taking their seizure medications for one reason or another, and then they'll wind up in the, in the emergency room because they had a seizure. The other time I see it is with high blood pressure, and people can get these conditions called hypertensive urgency or hypertensive emergency. This often happens when someone skips out on taking their blood pressure medicines, and then they come into the hospital with a dangerously high blood pressure. And that high blood pressure can lead to flash pulmonary edema, which is like a flash flood in your lungs. It can also cause mental status changes like confusion and drowsiness, something that we call hypertensive encephalopathy. There's also press syndrome, which is basically hypertensive encephalopathy, where you find radiographic changes on people's CT scans and MRIs. By the way, all of these consequences are life-threatening. Like DKA is life-threatening. Hypertensive emergency can cause brain bleeding. Yep. Seizures, Seizures can be fatal people. if they're status yeah. epilepticus. Organ or- rejection is, is can be fatal. Tyler, you bring up a good point. Um, in patients who have organ transplants, if you skip taking your immunosuppressants, you'll get acute organ rejection. Your body's immune system suddenly realizes that something foreign is in the body and it'll attack it and kill off the organ. And that's, that's life-threatening. And basically, that's why there's such an involved process for getting a transplant. People really have to demonstrate that they will take good care of those organs before we give them to them. And, you know, there's one group that we haven't really talked about yet. And I think we probably see these patients the most for non-medication noncompliance. Psychiatric, mentally ill. Yep, you got it. Uh, I would say particularly schizophrenics and patients with bipolar disorder. A lot of times we'll see them in the hospital when they are having an episode of psychosis or acute mania in the case of bipolar disorder. We'll get them back on their medications. Then they start feeling somewhat better. They stop having the psychosis. They stop hallucinating or, you know, their, their energy level kind of returns to normal. And then they go home. And when they get home, they don't necessarily like how the medications make them feel. Or maybe they convince themselves that they're all better and back to normal. Just sort of like they kind of see it like a, taking an antibiotic for an infection where, once you're through the acute phase, you can come off of the antibiotic. But that's not true with antipsychotics. Patients who need to be on these medicines need to be on them all the time. But they'll do these sort of mental gymnastics to kind of trick themselves into thinking they don't need to take them. And then, of course, their psychotic symptoms start to return. And the next thing you know, someone's running naked in traffic or jumping off the edge of a parking deck because the voice in their head dared them to do it. And that's a, that is these are both real cases, by the way. Yeah, that's real like something out of a movie like fight club but it really happens and i think tyler you probably know that patient or know of that patient yeah. at least so so let's talk about i mean why are patients not compliant i mean some of them just are lazy because they don't want to take their pills right but i mean it can't be that everyone is their own fault right i mean there's yeah. gotta be reasons why they're not compliant yeah and I, and I don't want our listeners to get the feeling that we're completely out of touch with <clears> patients <throat> There are definitely reasons behind people's actions, and some of these reasons make a lot of sense, but still, you know, skipping out on your doctor's advice is generally not a good idea. But let's explore some of the reasons that patients don't take their medications. Number one, side effects. This is particularly true for psychiatric patients. Antipsychotics can cause weight gain. Antidepressants can cause sexual dysfunction. Bipolar patients can often get flat or numb on their mood stabilizers, and they miss the relative high of their manic phases. So side effects are a huge reason why people choose not to take their medications. I think next one would be denial. This is very true for some psychiatric patients. We also see this a lot in young diabetic patients. Young diabetics are often still in that sort of youthful phase where they feel invincible. They see their friends leading carefree lives, and they start to deny that their diabetes is really a problem. 
So they stop checking blood sugars and stop giving themselves shots. Yeah, they don't want to look strange in front of their friends. It's kind yeah. of, it's like it's not their fault they have the disease, so they just assume they don't have it. Yeah, and and it's tragic. And I've I don't know about you, I've lost people that I grew up with because of think because of that sort of a attitude. So denial is definitely one of the one of the stronger ones. This third reason is that it's sometimes hard to set a routine. It takes about two weeks of consistently practicing a behavior to really make it a routine. Tyler, I think we doctors can be kind of intolerant about this one. I know there are times that we've been like, this pill will save your life. How hard can it be to remember to take it? But it can be very hard for people, especially if they don't follow a usual routine. Do you remember I was out for a few days because of a sinus infection last spring? Do you remember that? Yeah. I wound up getting seen and got put on antibiotics. And I was compliant while I was having symptoms reminding me. But once I started feeling better, I began to forget taking my antibiotic. Gave me a whole new perspective on what our patients go through when we change their medications around. So it can definitely be hard to set a routine. And that's one of the reasons why people will sometimes they'll just fall out of the habit of taking a medication. The final issue is cost. Medications can get to be very expensive. If you're having to choose between feeding your family and taking your insulin, I think most people are going to pick their family's well-being over their own. I hear people complaining about insulin costs online, and I'm always kind of surprised. There are definitely some more economical insulin options. And I do wonder why insulins are so expensive. Have you... Have you run into that or anything? Case managers kind of help me with this, to be honest. I, yeah. I, I prescribe it, and if, if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, the case manager will call me. That's kind of how I do it. That's something uh, – that's that's an episode I'd like to explore in the future because yeah. insulin shouldn't be that expensive, and I wonder why it is. Under the cost umbrella, though, I'd like to say there are some patients who can afford it and simply choose not to because they're still True. buying – you know, they're, they're jet skis and they're buying their, their car that's two-thirds of their monthly income. Or their illegal substances. Yeah, or their heroin or their cocaine yeah. or, or fill in the blank there. I'm so, sad to say we do see quite a few people who choose to put their money towards other things. I can't tell you how often I've seen someone tell me they can't afford their medication, which I know is free at Publix. Yeah. You know, I've got we've got this list of stuff that's free at Publix and there's like 30 or 40 pills on there. And the patient will tell me they can't afford that. And I'm looking at the free at public list and thinking, what, what, but you're still smoking and you're still injecting. So yeah. where does that come from? You know, yeah. like uh, that. So I do think, you know, cost, I, it's sad if it's true, but sometimes I question if it's true, I guess yeah. how I would interpret that. So, so what can patients, what can they be doing to ensure that they don't run into this medical noncompliance or medical non-adherence? Well, this is going to sound obvious, but. Call your doctor if you're struggling to afford your medications. Your doctor can help highlight which medications are critical and will land you in the hospital if you miss them. Your doctor might also be able to prescribe alternatives that are less expensive. If you're having a side effect, just tell your doctor. I mean, they, they can we can discuss alternatives. We can schedule an appointment. We can talk about alternatives. It's not like I, I can assure you most of the time the doctor gives you something. There were four or five choices they could have picked. Yeah. And they just chose the one that showed up that day. If you can't tolerate that one or you're having a side effect, we can give you an alternative. Yeah. I would schedule an appointment to talk about this with your doctor because I've found so many people try and wedge this into an already busy appointment and then they'll feel that their doctor didn't really address it. I call this a hand on the door complaint because patients will wait until you're halfway out of the room before they mention, oh, by the way, I'm not tolerating that medication. And then the doctor doesn't really have time to address it. So if you are having a bad side effect, I would say start off calling your doctor and if necessary, schedule an appointment to discuss it. So, And then finally, I would say 
weigh the side effect against the benefit you're getting from the medication. I remember when I was in residency, patients would complain all the time about getting muscle soreness from their statin cholesterol medicine. And there are alternatives to statins, but statins generally work the best and they there aren't really alternatives that are as potent or as effective as statins. And in my mind, it's worth it to have some muscle aches here and there if it means that you're not having a heart attack or a stroke and you get an extra 10 or 20 years of living. I think I might agree. So, but above all, we just hope that you take away from this episode that it's very important to take your medications. And if you can't, or if you're having trouble with taking your medications, talk about it with your doctor, with your provider or your doctor, so that they can, so that they're aware of the problem and can see what they can do to help. But if you're in the hospital because you didn't take the medications, don't blame me. <laughs> I hear that all the time. You sent me home too early last time. I was only home <laughs> for three days and I started getting short of breath again. So here I am back in the hospital. Well, did you take your Lasix? Well, n- n- no. <laughs> it's not my fault that you didn't take your Lasix and now you're back in the hospital. Uh, on a somewhat related story, I had a patient who really needed to go to rehab. And we told him he needed to go to acute inpatient rehab for about two weeks to get stronger after he'd had a stroke. He had been, the physical therapist told him that, the occupational therapist told him that, the case manager told him that, and he didn't want to go to rehab because he didn't want to have to pay for it. And he wasn't insured or else his insurance company would have paid for it. And we said, okay, you know, if you don't want to go to rehab, that's fine. Go on home. And we told him he needed to stay on the ground floor of his home. Like the physical therapist worked with him for several extra days, told him he needed to stay on the ground floor of his home so he didn't get caught upstairs. And of course, what happens when he gets home? Not only does he not stay on the first floor, he goes upstairs, tries to go walk to the bathroom and falls because he wasn't ready to go home. I shouldn't laugh. That's not funny. Well, falls, poops on the floor, and his son finds him sitting in a pile of feces And he came back to the hospital when, you know, the son called medics. Medics, of course, brought him back to our hospital. And I came in to see him after he got readmitted and he yelled and cursed at me so much and told me it was my fault that I sent him home. He told me he was going to sue me because his son had seen him on the ground in a pile of feces. And I just I finally just said, you wanted to go home. We told you you weren't ready. We told you that you needed rehab. And you said you didn't want to pay for You basically said you didn't want to pay for it. You said, well, I would have paid for it if I had known this was going to happen. Yeah. It's... And it was kind of like, well, then don't blame me because you made these bad decisions against our advice. I've struggled uh, consistently with heart failure patients who they're in the hospital twice a month because they go home and they just eat whatever they want and they drink whatever they want and then they get yeah. full of fluid and then they come back to the hospital, but they don't understand it's because they're eating whatever they want. And so mm-hmm. there's always some worried daughter or some worried sister who's like, I just think you sent him home too early last time. They were only here for three days. <laughs> As if like the length that I held him has anything to do with. Yeah. And and no, the difference is when they're in the hospital, we yeah. got them on the heart failure diet and we're diuresing them effectively. But then when they go home and they just start eating whatever they want again. They start it eating is, fried chicken loaded right. with salt. And, it has nothing to yeah. do with how long I kept them in the hospital. It has to do with you have to take care of yourself at home. Yeah. And I get so frustrated. I want to pull my hair out. I've seen patients that are in the hospital for a heart failure exacerbation. I would go into their room for rounds and they're eating a salami that they that their husband. <laughs> the family member brought in. Yeah, the family yeah. member brought in for them. And I'm like, what are you doing here? This is a waste of everyone's time. <laughs> if you're going to eat this salt, you might as well have just stayed home and drowned in your own fluid. Exactly. You know, well... 
Thanks for listening to Sick Enough. If you enjoyed this episode or if you enjoy hearing doctors tell stories or if you enjoy learning about different medical conditions, then I urge you to hit like or subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. If you have questions or thoughts about today's episode, please email us at sickenoughpodcast at gmail.com. S-I-C-K-E-N-O-U-G-H-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. If there's a topic you would like us to, like for us to talk about, or if you have unrelated questions, email us with those too. As we accumulate questions, we'll start doing a few Q&A sessions. I'd like to thank Michael Cobrin and Pixabay.com for our intro music, and I'd also like to thank our sound engineer, Alex. I'd like to thank Swede Custom Studios as well as Two Birds Artwork for helping us with the thumbnail on our website, and of course, all our listeners out there who are tuning in and sending us questions on a regular basis.